Welcome back to the Injury Prone Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Edwin Porras, Doctor of Physical Therapy, Medical Analyst, FantasyPoints.com. Gracias por tus oídos once again. We're here. It's championship week. There's a lot to talk about and there's a lot to break down. I want to get more nuanced and start your studs, sit your scrubs. It is not quite that simple sometimes. And I understand that. And if you're in your championship, you want to make the most optimal decisions if you're in the championship this week. So I want to thank you so much for following along. If you're still listening now, you, whatever, 80% of you that started the season with me, I think it's about an 80% dip, or I'm sorry, a 20% dip and listens and tuning in, which I understand you get bored, you lose out, you stop paying attention. But if you're still listening, I really appreciate you. You really are the lifeblood of why I do this. This is super fun for me. It's a hobby. I'm probably going to end up doing it anyway, even if I didn't put content out. So it's been super fun this year. The new structure with the newsletter and the podcast seems to have captured a good chunk of y'all. And so I really want to thank you again. I want to cover more dynasty stuff in the off season. I'll have a lot more time uh, this year. Last year was a little hectic starting the new job, studying for my specialty exam. So this year we are going to get into a lot more dynasty questions. So send your dynasty questions, your injury related dynasty questions to injury at gmail.com. That's injury at gmail.com. And if I've helped you at all, don't Venmo me. Don't find me on Venmo. That's kind of creepy. I appreciate it, but it is a little creepy when I get random Venmos uh, as a thanks, and I appreciate it. But just go to the podcast, leave a review, the Injury Prone Pod, leave a review, a good review, five stars, rate review, and give me a shout on Twitter so I see it at FB Injury Doc. Thanks again. One more reminder we're going to move away from the review platform for my newsletter. I have all of your emails. Don't worry. We're going to go to a safe place. We're stepping away from the review platform before Twitter implodes on us. So here we are. We have Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. We have Aaron Jones. Some potential returns in Tyler Lockett, maybe. Devo Samuel, less likely. All right, we have all of these guys that we are monitoring for your championship week. Let's start with the potential return of Lamar Jackson. So Lamar Jackson went down around December 4th. He is going on his fourth missed game. If he doesn't play in week 17, it'll be his fourth missed game. So these injuries typically take anywhere from two to four weeks to feel better if they're not a grade three, a total tear and rupture, which we don't necessarily think is the case for Lamar. And so he could still miss week 17. That's something you should keep on your radar, something that you should guard yourself against. If you are, if you've made it this far, which maybe you have with somebody like Brock Purdy, Maybe somebody with, you know, somebody like Mike White has helped you get to this point, and now you have Lamar Jackson on your bench. It's totally possible that you're in cha- your championship this week. Watch his practice statuses. Don't drop any of those quarterbacks on waivers tonight. Keep them, because what you'll need to do is insulate yourself in case Lamar Jackson does sit one more week. These, again, like I said, take two to four weeks to get better. And what I assume the Ravens are doing is giving him as much time as possible to rest, to rehab, and to let biology do its thing. Because when a quarterback like Lamar Jackson comes back, he needs to be at 100% to be able to run, stand in the pocket, take hits. They are not going to put him out there if he's less than 100%. I will say that sometimes it seems the Ravens do that anyway. They put their guys out there when they're not 100%. But I will say that Lamar Jackson has uh, seemed to be a protected asset that the Ravens value. And so I don't think he'll go out there at less than 100%. As of right now, I'd, I'd lean there's about a 55 to 60% chance he plays. And if he's active, you absolutely have to start him. That rushing ceiling and that rushing floor are what keep you in games. Uh, it'll be a nice little reprieve if you're able to get a Lamar Jackson 
into your rosters this week. So just make sure you don't drop any quarterbacks. He could be back this week. Another quarterback, which deserves probably just as much discussion is Jalen Hurts. We of course have the reports coming out that Hurts doesn't have the AC sprain that we thought he had. He has the SC sprain, the sternoclavicular, not the acromioclavicular sprain. For our purposes, the difference is relatively unimportant. For the management, it only matters when it's a severe issue. If you remember in 2019, Tyreek Hill went down and he had an SC issue. He had an SC sprain. The danger of having an SC sprain, because the SC is of course located right where your collarbone meets your sternum at the middle of your chest. The danger of all the structures underneath, the arteries, the blood vessels, the vascular bundles, everything that's under there, if that collarbone were to be jarred loose and go backwards, it's not a great outlook and it can be dangerous. So that's what you have to watch for with an SC injury. Now, what I'll say is it doesn't seem like it is a severe SC sprain for Hertz because he finished the game and because he seemed to look like he's not in pain. And by all accounts, the Eagles haven't made it seem like it's a very severe injury. Now, even if it was a severe injury, which we don't assume it is, once you remove yourself from the danger and you assess the joint and there's no specific joint damage, there's no what you'd call an instability, then it's really just a matter of symptom management. So now he's going to be roughly two weeks removed from that injury in week 17. The Eagles need a win. And I don't necessarily think that it's improbable to see Jalen Hurts this week. We'll have to monitor his practice statuses, obviously. But if there's one thing that we might not see from Jalen Hurts this week, if he is active, it's the design rushing plays. That doesn't mean you fade him. That doesn't mean you bench him. Because he can get it done in the air anyway. Now, there will be probably some... Targeting from the defense that'll come, that's natural. They're going to try to sack him as much as possible. I'd expect a lot more uh, quick reads and dropbacks for Jalen Hurts if they're going to try to protect that chest, that shoulder area for, for him. So overall, you have to start Jalen Hurts, even if he's at 90% of what you'd expect, unless you have just a ridiculous backup, another top five guy, which is very, very, very unlikely. You got to start Jalen Hurts. I do think he has a chance this week. Last quarterback here, Mike White. He has missed the last two games. And we know that these ribs injuries typically take two to four weeks to improve. And he's obviously right in that range. The thing with Mike White is he's going to be playing through pain. Structurally, he's probably back to baseline or at least getting close, but it's still going to be difficult for him to take hits. It's still going to be difficult if he gets sacked. The Defense is probably going to be targeting Mike White. So his volatility is a little higher than usual. If you remember Justin Herbert and his ribs issue at the beginning of the year, this is something similar. So the volatility on Mike White is relatively high. Moving on from quarterbacks, let's talk about running back. Aaron Jones. In week nine, Aaron Jones had a mild little, we want to call it an eversion sprain, a high ankle type sprain. And we didn't think that it was really that big of a deal at the time. He didn't seem to make it a big of a deal at the time. But since 
that time over the last four weeks, when it comes to average snaps, carries, and targets, Aaron Jones is sitting at 51%, 11 carries and four targets when in weeks five through eight before the ankle injury, he was at 68% of the snaps, 13 carries and about six targets. Now it's a pretty modest dip and Aaron Jones can pretty much bust off one of these massive runs at any point, but it is still something to keep in mind with Aaron Jones. Again, he's one of those guys that you have to start anyway, unless you just have a, an embarrassment of riches on your bench. But keep in mind that he is a little bit more volatile, maybe back away from him in DFS as we've seen his volume slowly take a downtick, but you got to hope in season long in most leagues that you start him and he gets into the end zone. Another running back, Jamal Williams, he got rolled up on in week 16 and it looks like it could have been MCL-ish. And so that's something to monitor. He did come back and play in the game, but that's going to complicate the backfield. And a, and a backfield that's already complicated, it, this one's probably going to, this injury is probably going to complicate it a little bit more. You probably don't need to start Jamal Williams, especially if they decide to go elsewhere with the red zone and goal line packages, the red zone and goal line work. Uh, Jamal Williams is by no means a must start. He has had incredible touchdown luck. And unless you're desperate, you can start Jamal Williams but I don't think very many championship teams are, are anchoring down to Jamal Williams at this point in the season. Next guy here, moving on to wide receiver, Christian Watson. He did get hit and landed hard on his hip. That typically leads to a contusion. Uh, it is relatively similar to a hit pointer, taking blunt trauma to that area. The Packers have called him day-to-day -day already. He's going to be stiff. He's going to be a little sore, and this might skim some of that ceiling off. But with Christian Watson, all you need is one throw down the field, and you've gotten home for the week. So there, I'm, I'm facing Christian Watson in a championship this week. So there's probably a decent amount of championship teams with Christian Watson at the flex for wide receiver three spot. Just know that you have to monitor this week's practice reports. If he doesn't practice on Wednesday or Thursday, don't freak out. He can play through this. It's not a slam dunk, but again, he's probably going to be fine as he's already listed as day-to-day. -day. Just make sure you watch those practice reports. The last receiver here, Tyler Lockett with the finger fracture. Uh, he could play this week. I would lean away from him actually playing and then giving him, them giving him another week to recover from that finger fracture. Uh, Chris Godwin, we did see him come back within one week in 2020, but I don't necessarily see the Seahawks doing that. I think they'll take their time with Tyler Lockett, but if he is active, same thing goes as with Christian Watson. I mean, it's one shot down the field and Tyler Lockett has paid off for the week. So you more than likely don't have better options than Tyler Lockett. If he's active Tua, of course, unfortunately with the third concussion, unlikely to go for this week. And it's just been a disaster, unfortunately for the Dolphins. And here's the thing about Tua Tagovailoa: is I get a little real here. I'm always very careful to assume anything about head injuries, to assume anything about the intentions of the docs, to assume that I know exactly what's going on in the locker room because I don't. And that's the bottom line. I don't know any more than you know, than your friend knows and your league mates know. What I can say is that this first half hit when it comes to Tua's performance could have played a role in the picks that he threw. He threw three interceptions in the fourth quarter. A couple of them were head scratchers. And I just wonder, I guess I'm wondering out loud, could the head trauma from earlier this season and then in week 16 again 
have led to some miscues, some misfires from Tonga Bailoa himself. Who knows? He might never admit it. I don't really know. And honestly, I'd need the film bros to help me out uh, at Jetpack Galileo. If you're listening, hit me up. Let me know a breakdown on what you thought of those picks from Tua. And if you think that they had anything to do with potentially not being 100%. Again, I don't know. And these things are dangerous to talk about. But what I will say is that with these head issues and with this head trauma, there's a lot of public outcry. There's a lot of consternation. I don't even know if I'm using that word correctly about how to handle the protocol. And there's a camp that says, well, the player should be culpable because the player should report when they have symptoms. If they have symptoms, they should be as honest as possible and they should tell us the truth. The flip side is medical professionals should be 100% responsible at all times. And they're all culpable. If a player is put back out into the game and they should be in concussion protocol ruled out for the game. I think it's ridiculous to blame either side to the fullest extent. On one hand, yes, concussions and concussion diagnosis and concussion prognosis is by no means a perfect science. Guys without concussions are in protocol all the time. Guys with concussions skip protocol all the time or aren't put into protocol, I should say, all the time because it's an imperfect science. And I've never gotten into this on the podcast, but I will. That's because concussions are so complex to diagnose. There's no imaging to immediately diagnose a concussion. There's no specific silver bullet test that will tell us if a guy has a concussion. And there's no such thing as mild, moderate, or severe concussions. We don't even look at if a guy lost consciousness anymore. We just haven't found that those things as a scientific community correlate with ultimately diagnosing and treating a concussion. So all these things that you might've heard or, or read or seen on TV or the media or whatever the case may be, whatever you think about concussions is probably only a portion accurate or a portion correct. And not because anybody's trying to pull the wool over your eyes, it's because we don't know. So we don't know a lot. The last point on this is if you are curious how to even diagnose a concussion as quickly and as, as efficiently as we possibly can, just Google SCAT dash five. That's S C A T dash five. Look at that form. Look at how quick, think about how quickly those questions have to be asked in the heat of the moment and try to figure out if you could administer this test and be 100% confident that a guy does or does not have a concussion when the guy wants to get back out on the field, when their agent might be pushing for them to get on the field, when the organization might be pushing for them to get on the field. These issues are so much more complex than they tend to be on the media, right? So should the player be punished because they want to get back out there and or because they don't report symptoms? I don't know about that. That is, to me, a very slippery slope because everybody is trying their best at this point. And if a player is reporting that they're fine and if a player is reporting that they can go and their tests are clear to the best of our knowledge and we are doing our due diligence as medical prof professionals to really put them through our best possible tests, then so be it. But the bottom line is that Tua was at a high risk for a concussion the first time that he got concussed this year. And then subsequently at a higher risk the second time. Now he's at a higher risk again to have another concussion. What we also know is that there's some data to back up the fact that concussions aren't totally cleared for up to two years in some populations. So in other words, our tests and measures can measure that a player is cleared from a concussion, but their brain and their psychology and their neuropsychology might continue on a subclinical level to improve for 
It could be months at a time. So the point that I'm making is it's difficult to punish anybody involved unless there's just blatant and gross mismanagement. I'm not saying that in Miami there has or there has not been. I won't get into that. What I can say is that it's a slippery slope when you start placing culpability in front of player health and safety. So whoever's fault it is, the onus is on us as medical professionals to do our best, do our due diligence, and keep the players as safe as possible. The flip side is also true. Just because it's not a perfect science doesn't mean that we can't put in protocols, that we can't self-audit how we're doing every year. We can't self-audit the specific processes, diagnoses, treatments, interventions for these concussions. Just because it's not perfect doesn't mean we can't try. And so I don't know the answer. Is the answer to have to sit the rest of the season? I don't think that's the answer. But should the Dolphins, in my opinion, take it a little bit more conservative and maybe have him sit until the last possible second that they can, even if they're fighting for their playoff lives, in conjunction with tests and measures that show that Tua is at least clinically recovered? Yeah. Is there going to be a chance that he has a concussion again, even if he sits out the next two weeks, three weeks, month? Yeah. Is there a chance that he's going to get another concussion next year, even if he sits out the entire offseason and doesn't put on a helmet until August of 2023? Yes. So all of these things are correct. The athlete has to be honest. The medical professionals have to do their due diligence. The tests and measures have to be put under as much duress and stress testing as possible. We have to have the self-auditing system. In addition to all the, all the other factors that go in, the organization's needs, the team's needs, the players' Uh, camp and their parties and, and how they need to perform or whether they need to be out there and performing or not. And, and the media, what does the media say? All these things go into this big cake that is concussion management. I don't talk concussions a lot because it's either they're going to go or they're not. This is complicated. This is not even in our, even in the timelines, I'm always saying concussions are TBD. So that's really all I wanted to say. The concussion thing is probably a lot more complicated than you're making it, than anybody is making it. We can't really brush off that athletes need to be honest with us at the same time. We can't just say it's not an exact science, so we move forward as if nothing happened. That's my passionate speech right before your championship week. Again, make sure to send your questions to injurypronepod at gmail.com. Let me know what your dynasty questions are at then. And uh, let me know what you think on Twitter of the podcast, any feedback you got at FP Injury Doc. Make sure you follow me there. In addition to checking out the Fantasy Points Waiver Wire article, let's get this championship week.